Good morning. This morning's first reading is on page 901 in the Church Bibles. It's from John's Gospel, chapter 14, and we're beginning at verse 15. So, John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 15. This is Jesus addressing his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. Thank you, Nigel. Well, let's read on. Just to turn over in your Bibles to John chapter 15 and verse 26 through chapter 16, verse 15. Another passage about the Holy Spirit. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. 
I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Well, let's pray as we study this wonderful part of God's Word. Our Father, we pray that as we study these important passages in the Bible on the Holy Spirit, you would help us not simply to understand who the Holy Spirit is, but to know Him better as a person. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, if you are a Christian, how do you think of yourself? How do you describe yourself? If you're not a Christian, who do you think a Christian is? Now, as you think about that, let me tell you how the Bible describes you. It might surprise you that the Bible never speaks about a Christian by using the word Christian. Well, it does three times in the New Testament, that's all. The most common way by far, and we're talking nearly a hundred times, that the Bible describes or speaks about a believer is someone who is in Christ or in Christ Jesus or indwelt by Christ. Now, our two Bible readings from John's Gospel, as uh, Jay said, we're taking a week off Luke, primarily because so many people are away. But the two Bible readings, John's Gospel, they're in a section from John chapter 13 through 17. And that's a coherent narrative, a, a coherent discourse, a coherent block of teaching from Jesus. The day before his resurrection, 
He shared his heart with his disciples. We call it the upper room or farewell discourse. He announced his betrayal, his denial, foretold his death, glorification, and his departure from the world, and the promise of the coming Holy Spirit. Now, our passages, the two that we read, are about the promised Holy Spirit. That's our subject today, what Jesus teaches us in these passages about the Holy Spirit. And they are important passages. They're not easy, though. Somebody uh, suggested to me earlier today that John chapter 15 is the preacher's minefield. That kind of unnerved me. I didn't think it was quite so bad as that. <laughs> now, all we'll do is, is be able to scratch the surface. And I think the truths in passages like this are not simple to dig up and fathom. They merit time. They merit prayer. They merit wrestling, meditation on God's Word. But they are truths, I believe, that are essential, fundamental. For some of us to be reminded what we know about the Holy Spirit, for others of us, perhaps, clarity where there is misunderstanding, or perhaps to learn for some for the first time about who the Holy Spirit is. They are essential truths, but they are, and I want to encourage you, I'm always ahead of you in the sense that I've had a whole week on it, and I want to encourage you to anticipate not only grasping that they are essential, but rich, rich and wonderful truths and reassuring and comforting truths. Now, the title I've given to the sermon is Knowing the Holy Spirit. Understanding who the Holy Spirit is is important. Believing in the Holy Spirit is important. But essentially, what matters is knowing Him. Because He is a person. Now, Jesus, in this section of John, is teaching his disciples that he is going away from them. Of course, he's been with them in person, physically with them, the incarnate Son. And he is going away, and he is teaching them that in his stead, the Holy Spirit will come. Where is he going? To the cross. And uh, he will see them briefly again after he is raised. But then he will return to his Father, where he is now, and he reigns as Lord and King at the Father's side. And Jesus is saying, after I've gone to the Father, I will send to you in my stead the Holy Spirit. Now, just we can understand this in, in, in purely human terms. If, say, say you were walking up a, a mountain and your mountain guide said to you, I'm off now, you'll be fine. Think of the disciples that night with the Lord Jesus. He was talking about the cross and the resurrection and going back to the Father. 
and they had spent all of these years with the Lord Jesus. He was their master, their teacher, their friend. And now he is telling them he is going to leave them. And he's commissioned them with all this stuff, and they would be thinking, and, and the atmosphere of the room, uh, Judas has just left. Peter has said he will never deny, and Jesus has said, you will deny me. And now he's teaching them all this stuff. I'm going, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And they are thinking, how on earth will we survive without him? How will we know what to do? They love him. His loss too much to bear. Now, let's look at a couple of the verses from our passages about what Jesus says in relation to the Holy Spirit that He will give them. Look with me at John 14, and let's read from verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. We know from later on in John 14 that the helper is the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Now let's just slowly unpack these verses. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. The word another means another of the same. The second half of verse 17, you know him. That is, you know the another that I will ask my Father to send you, for he dwells with you. You know him, you know what he will be like, because he dwells with you. And what Jesus is referring to at this point is himself at this moment with them in person. In other words, you already know what the another will be like because you know me. It's a bit like Jesus says, you know, and earlier on in John 14, Philip says, how can we know the Father? And Jesus says, well, you know me. How can we know the other, the another, the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus says, you know me. It's almost as if Jesus is saying that the another is him. Now, that is more explicit in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see you no more, but you will see me. At this point, he's talking, I think, about them seeing him after his resurrection, because I live, you also will live. But then he moves in verse 20 to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and of course, the resurrection, Jesus going that way and the Holy Spirit coming this way, they're so intertwined in the, the, the teaching of, of Jesus. In that day, that's Pentecost, verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Now, two things to note there. 
in that day, the day of Pentecost, or when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to know stuff that you didn't know yet. Like, you're going to understand some of the deep things of God about the fellowship between Father and Son. That's one thing he says. And then he also says, and it's just a tiny, tiny little preposition, I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The another that they will be given in is Jesus in them. Now, you see why it's so important that when we talk about who Christians are, who we are, we use the language of the Bible. We've got to use the phrase, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, indwelt by Christ. That is who we are. And the promise is that the another that will come you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The another is Jesus in them. The person of the Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ in us. Just as good. Not quite. Better. Says who? Says Jesus. Turn to chapter 16. And I'm reading from the second half of verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled their hearts because their master, their friend, their savior, their Lord is leaving them physically. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage or it is better for you that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Now, often people understand that. It's better for you that I go away and think, well, what he's talking about is better that I go to the cross, because if I don't go, you won't be saved. He's not talking about going away to the cross. He's talking about going to glory, and that action enables the Holy Spirit to come, which is better for you. So Jesus says, that's an extraordinary comment. It runs hard against all our instincts and intuition. It is to their advantage and to our advantage that Jesus goes and the helper of the Holy Spirit comes. Far from being bereft, when Jesus goes, it is better how can that possibly be? How can it possibly be better that we are sitting here with the Holy Spirit than where Jesus here in his incarnate person behind this lectern? Wouldn't that be marvelous? You could ask him any question. You could see what he looked like, what color his eyes were. You could touch him. Jesus is saying it's better that I am where I am and the Holy Spirit is with you. Why is it better? Because the Holy Spirit means that Jesus Christ is in you, not with you. It's inside of you. And that's a remarkable thing. 
The Holy Spirit is better than Jesus being with us in person because the Holy Spirit is Jesus in us, in his person. Jesus not with us, but Jesus in us. The resurrected reigning Christ not with us, but in us. And Jesus talks about it in two ways. He says in verse 20 of chapter 14, you are in me and I am in you. A believer is someone who is in Christ. You are in me, Jesus says, and a believer is someone in whom Christ dwells, and I am in you, Jesus says. Uh, they say the same thing. He just comes at it two ways, depending on how we're wired. As you sit here, let me say to you Jesus' words as I say them to myself, I am in you. I'm not with you, I am in you. And you are in me. It's not that you just believe in me or believe on me or believe things about me. You are in me. Now, this is marvelous stuff to be in Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives an illustration of what it means to help us understand that. It's in chapter 15. You might read that later. It's the, the image of the vine. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Think of a vine growing up and the branches growing out of that vine. Uh, none of us would think that the vine branches were separate from the vine. They're not. The vine branches grow up out of the vine. And that's exactly what it means to have the Spirit of Christ in you. Now, I'm going to leave that illustration for you to look at and try and unpack for us in the second half of our time some of the implications of being indwelt by Christ through the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? What difference does it make? Or you could come at it another way and, and think of what does it mean that the, the, the sort of theology of this or the doctrine of this is union with Christ, union with God. We are united with Him. He lives in us. He lives in our hearts, our minds, our souls, our bodies, our persons. What difference does that make? Well, it makes all the difference in the world, but let me try and explain something of what the difference is from John. First, and there are four things. Well, there are probably 40 things, but I'm going to give you four. First, it means in me and in you. As a believer, there dwells the Savior. Now, I use Savior rather than Jesus. I'm talking about the salvation that He has wrought for us is in you, in your person. And think of the salvation. How did Jesus save us he saved us through His person dying on the cross, and His person was raised. The, the person of Jesus, the incarnate Christ, is the means of our salvation. And that incarnate Christ that is the means of our salvation, His death, His resurrection, and His reign, is mediated into us in the person of His Spirit, the Savior dwells in you. Salvation dwells in you. 
And it's hard to explain this in words. You've got to pray and ask that God will teach you all the riches of these truths. Let me say it like this. All that Christ achieved for you through His death and resurrection is yours not primarily because He has conferred on you the status of forgiven and righteous, but because He has mediated into you righteousness, forgiveness. It's a bit like saying when the language of, of adoption is used, when God adopts us as His children, we really become His children. We are united with Him in our spiritual DNA, if you like. All that Christ has achieved through His death and resurrection is ours, not through the conferring of a status, but through the coming into us of the Holy Spirit that bears to us the person of the resurrected and reigning and eternal Christ. Now, I could take you to different parts of the Bible to show you this. If you're taking notes, let me give you a couple of headings. You might follow them up. Something like Romans 8, which is a great chapter on the Holy Spirit. Let me just read a few verses from the beginning. This is the beginning of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are... What does Paul say? He doesn't say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are Christians. He says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. That's the death of Jesus Christ. He condemned sin in the sinless flesh of Christ. Now listen to this, in order that the righteous requirement for the law might be fulfilled, and the next two words, in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The righteous requirements of the law, which is what you need to be right and justified before God, has been mediated into your person by the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You see what, what this is doing? It's wonderfully, wonderful to grasp that I don't carry around in my pocket a ticket that says I am righteous. I am righteous because the person of Christ has come into my body, my soul and my mind in His Spirit. We could go to a passage like Ephesians, all these wonderful blessings, Ephesians 1, and each of the blessings begins with the words, so for example, Ephesians 1, verse 7, 11, 13, in Him, in Him, in Him, in Him. Let me uh, summarize it in this way. What are the implications of being indwelt by Christ through the Holy Spirit? It means that in me and you as a believer, 
there dwells the Savior, bringing into me and you all the achievements and benefits of salvation. What difference does it make? Well, walking last night, as I often do, thinking on this, and I wouldn't tell you this if it weren't true, and I wouldn't make it up, I felt like singing and dancing because of how amazing it is. So I was walking in the dark. All that Christ achieved is inside of me in the person of the Spirit. I'm not going to tell you if I actually did sing or dance. One of the advantages of walking in the night is that no one sees you apart from the odd badger. What I can say to you is that when I went for the walk, I certainly wasn't in the mood for singing and dancing. And what I'm trying to say is that these kind of truths, when you grasp them, they make you sing and dance when the last thing you want to do is sing and dance. They're not circumstantially dependent. Second implication of being indwelt by Christ through the Holy Spirit is that in me and in you as a believer there dwells a teacher. Now in chapter 14, verse 26, and in chapter 16, verse 12, there are references to the role of the Holy Spirit in leading the apostles into the truth. So, uh, verse uh, 26 of chapter 14, the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, he will lead you into the truth, chapter 16, verse 12. And what he's talking about is the apostles in front of him, they will be led into the truth in a specific way, in a particular way. And they wrote the Scriptures of the New Testament. We do not need to be guided into the truth. It's already there for us. We need to proclaim the truth. But the Holy Spirit is still our teacher. How? Well, in lots of ways. Here's one. That as I have wrestled with this Bible passage this week, the Holy Spirit has helped me understand it. You may not agree. The Holy Spirit helps me proclaim it. The Holy Spirit sorts out the fuddle and the muddle in my explanation and plants the truths nonetheless deep within the fertile soil that is your heart. How does He do that? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. And He opens your eyes. He makes you concentrate. He animates your consciousness. He works from your heart to your will so that you want to live more like Christ. And the Holy Spirit in your heart turns a sermon into dialogue because the person of the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, to you, raising our affections for Jesus as we listen and study His uh, Word. 
I wonder if you've ever thought why when you are listening to a sermon or a Bible study, there are times, at least for me, when my heart is warmed in affection and love for Jesus. Why is that? Because He is inside of me in the person of the Spirit. And a bit more of Him comes out of me. Now, while not always the case, very often people with dementia or similar illnesses retain a capacity to understand the Word of God, to remember it, to draw comfort from it, even to minister to others with it. How can that be? Is it not the Holy Spirit within them? What is it that enables someone who is physically terribly frail to shine? Is it not the Holy Spirit living within them? Now, a third implication, and there are just four. A third implication, and one that is, I think, really wonderful. A third implication of being indwelt by Christ through the Holy Spirit is that in me and you as a believer, there dwells the, um, now the Greek word is parakletos, paraclete. And that word can be translated, it's an elastic and rich word. It can be translated, and all of these translations are helpful. Helper, that's the word used in our passage for the Holy Spirit. Helper, comforter, counselor, advocate. I will ask the Father and He will give you another one like me who is helper, comforter, counselor, advocate. And if you read Christ in the Gospels, you will see Christ as a helper, a comforter, a counselor, an advocate. And the Holy Spirit is these things to us, a helper, a comforter, a counselor, and an advocate. Uh, the Greek word parakletos. How does the Holy Spirit help us and comfort us? Because He knows us. How does my wife comfort me? Because she knows me. The Holy Spirit knows us through and through. He knows our needs, our fears. He helps us in our weakness. He knows us so well that He will pray to God for us when we do not even have the capacity or the energy to articulate in words what the burdens are that we bear in our hearts. The Holy Spirit's ministry within us is a sweet, sweet grace. When I was with Frank and Andy, with Joe on uh, Friday night, I sort of asked your permission, Frank, to say this. I hope it's okay. As Louise lay dying this week, lapsing in and out of consciousness, this is exactly what was happening. The Holy Spirit bringing to her mind sweet and precious truths of salvation, enabling their enabling her to articulate them not in coherent sentences, not in coherent words, groaning more like 
inarticulate to the ear, but to her husband and children and those of us who were privileged to be there in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, it was crystal clear what was going on. The Holy Spirit as comforter, as helper, as protector, almost crying out on that deathbed, Christ in me, the hope of glory. As glory came close to one of God's children in that room, so tangible, so real, no pretense, the Holy Spirit. Now, the translations counselor and advocate are suggestive of a legal activity, and it's right, I think, for us to think of the Holy Spirit as an advocate. And we know the Holy Spirit as an advocate in our lives as prosecuting counsel. That's how you come to faith. That's what uh, John is referring to uh, using Jesus' words in John 16. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit might be here convicting someone of sin and righteousness and judgment. But when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is no longer the prosecuting counsel. He is the defense counsel who will defend our cause every day of her life. Whether we sleep or wake, He will defend our cause. He defends our cause against doubts. He defends our cause against spiritual discouragement and opposition. He defends our cause against all the stuff that Paul speaks about in Romans that should, humanly speaking, separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And in the end of the day, these great promises like Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The way that I understand that promise to be true is you watch someone dying and then you appropriate it back to yourself. Nothing can separate the love of God from you in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus is inside you. It's not the believer who is dying holding their hand on to Jesus. It's the believer who is dying with the resurrected reigning Christ living in them by the Holy Spirit, taking their soul from this life to that life. That's an extraordinary thing to see. It's an extraordinary thing to have. How could he desert you? Because for that to happen, the Holy Spirit would have to unindwell you, or come out of you, or abandon you. Lastly, final implication of being indwelt by Christ through the Holy Spirit is that in you and in me as a believer, there dwells the homemaker. Homemaker. Chapter 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that extraordinary? 
The Holy Spirit will come into your life and make a home for whom? A home for God and a home for Jesus. I hope when people come to your home, they feel welcome. I'm sure they do. Invite me and I'll check it out. What does the Holy Spirit want to do in your life, your body, your person, in you as a person? He wants to make your life, your body, your will, your soul, a place where the Father and the Son are at home. You start to see it come out of people and shine out of people. Yes, God or Jesus is at home in that person. It's so obvious. It's so obvious. It's so clear. Now, these are familiar words from the beginning of John 14. Let me just read them to you in parallel. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a home for you. So Jesus goes to glory to prepare a home for us. And he sends his Holy Spirit to prepare a home for him in us. And one day, gloriously, they will meet. So you've got a bit of eternity in your body. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are where God is making his home and you will live with a resurrected body in a new creation. You can see how it's hard to express in words. It's a wonderful thing. You are the temple of God and God is making a home in you for himself. And God is making a home in heaven for you. And one day, they will meet. Now, I hope that in studying this passage today, we will have understood something a little more about the person of the Holy Spirit. But our concern is not to know about Him, but to know Him personally. The indwelling Christ through the Holy Spirit means that in you and me as a believer, there dwells the Savior, there dwells the Teacher, there dwells the Helper, Comforter, Counselor, and Advocate, there dwells the Homemaker. And what do you need as you walk through another day on this earth? You need to know that inside of you is salvation. You need to know that inside of you is the best teacher you could ever have. You need to know that inside of you is a helper, a comforter, a counselor, an advocate. And you need to know that there is someone inside of you who is changing your life to make God and Jesus Christ ever more at home. Let's pray. Lord, these are deep things, great treasures to grasp. We pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to do so. We pray that they will be of deep comfort to all of us, whatever our circumstances today. Help us, Lord, to use the language the Bible uses to describe who we are as believers, not as Christians but as those who are in Christ Jesus. He is in us, and we are in Him. And all the benefits of salvation are mediated into us. For in us there dwells the Savior, the Teacher, the Helper, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Advocate, and the Homemaker. Lord, may we truly understand this 
that we might be found singing and dancing as we grasp the extravagant, wonderful goodness and graciousness of God in Christ to us. And we pray in His name and for His sake.